This is Han Solo, and you're listening to Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast. I don't know. Fly casual. What is going on, everyone? And welcome to a brand new episode of Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast. We are back in the High Republic. It is so exciting. You know, we had our time in Andor, which was, you know, depressing, but but uplifting <laughs> in its own way. Uh, but it's nice to have the High Republic here because the High Republic is so inspiring and it's just so golden and it's so mythic and it's all those things. And it's it was interesting to talk to Zoraida Cordova in during Andor season and to have Convergence and to have Quest for the Hidden City and obviously path of deceit has already been out and so before we knew it, it's like we it was gone and then we blinked and then all of a sudden we had three books and both the comics are back now and today we are talking to one of the original architects of the higher public era and the author of one of those comics the higher public adventures he's been on the show before i think this is his fourth time i think that's a record there's no hey. prize. There's no prize for it. But, oh, come on. <laughs> but <laughs> he is the author of Last Shot of Midnight Horizon, the writer of the High Republic Adventures, the creator of so many of our favorite characters from Sav Malagan to Buckets of Blood to Lula and Zine and so on and so forth. There's a whole litany of characters under this man's purview. And that is Daniel Jose Older. How are you, my hey. friend? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a nice introduction. It's very great to be here. Always happy to be here. So I'm doing well. How are you? Good, man. I'm doing really well. It's exciting uh, to be talking about new stuff again. It was interesting because when phase one ended, I was like, oh, now we got to wait and everything. And I thought <laughs> I thought the wait would feel so long. Now yeah. I'm like... Oh, I gotta, I gotta keep up. I gotta get back to my reading. I gotta make sure everything. It, it came totally, out of nowhere totally. like a wave. Totally, it still feels long to me because, like, <laughs> because adventures is the last thing to drop in the in the initial wave of uh, phase two. Right. I'm like, so I feel like that, like the meme of Pablo with the in the window with the rain. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> everyone's like dropping all that great stuff cam has two issues that i'm still sitting here like one day people will meet young sam again oh yeah you're <laughs> like yeah with the wave structure it's like someone has to be last and you know it's sort of like you've all rotated duties on who is going to be the last one just based on schedules but it's that feeling of everybody's talking about it now everybody's right. starting to get on it but i can't weigh in because i can't spoil and it's like seeing the school dance happen and like yeah but you haven't gotten in yet yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really interesting feeling and and it's every time we talk it's funny because if you just listen to your episodes of the show you can track sort of you know because when we first met you'd already had last shot so you weren't new to star wars but high republic was so new um right back when high republic adventures the first volume was coming out we didn't know any of these kids and i remember we were back that first episode we were talking about creating these padawans and all these things and now it's like oh i know those kids those those are those are are my homies like and (laughs) everything's changed and i've joked that uh, we did an episode where I was like, oh, I, I really want to see more Obertuck. And you're like, oh, you're going to see more of him. And then two <laughs> weeks later, <laughs> two weeks later, Charles killed him. I was like, oh, I've been played. <laughs> like, I've I'm been so- had. I was laughing internally so hard when we got that conversation. Oh, so good. (laughs) He's going to find out. It was amazing. It was amazing. It's been amazing to sort of commentate on this thing as it's gone, as well as many other podcasts have, to have all of these writers and everybody coming on and being so open. And like you had the celebration panel and New York Comic Con. And it has been, what I love about the higher public is it's, it's been treated with the same level of pomp and circumstance as any other Star Wars project in the way that it deserves. Kristen Baver's art of book, gorgeous. 
amazing, like the full deep dive and everything. So starting with that, the feeling of being back, but it's the same, but it's different. It's so Star Wars. It's like, here we go, but not the way you think, but it's not going to be some of the people you know, but some of them might be there. What is the feeling (laughs) like going into phase two, knowing we've already did one and it was a smash? Right. Um, you know, and that's not, you know, not like an ego thing. It's just em- em- empirically, it was a hit. <laughs> it's, a uh, fact. <laughs> it's a fact that it was a hit. Does that yep. take pressure off or put more pressure on? Huh. You know, that's a really good question. I guess I, uh, uh, I don't think of it in terms of pressure. Like there surely is. Um, of course, you want it to hit again. And, you know, but it, what it more feels like is like, OK, now we've established this world. And yes, even though we're jumping 150 years back, we're still working within this kind of realm that we've established. So, so in a way, there's like there's the work to do to reestablish because it is a new era within a new era. But there's still so much groundwork we've laid and we build off of that because we knew we were going to do that jump. Right. So we were putting in a lot of the seeds of what, you know, this would be like, whether it was talking about how it was the frontier time, uh, talking about the Battle of Jeddah, you know, all these little like seeds. Mm-hmm. That, on the one hand, they were Easter eggs. On the other hand, we were kind of like doing the work for ourselves so that we would already be walking into a situation where people, readers were going to be like, oh, this must be that, you know, and they were talking about this and they're talking about that. So, and then just, uh, I think the overall vibe it's something we've established, right? Like people know what the High Republic is. People know that there's a lot of love in it and there's heartbreak and there's challenges and it's funny mm-hmm. and it's a lot of Jedi. And so that's really cool. Like I feel like we're walking, it's like, it's almost like coming back for sophomore year and you had a really great freshman year and you're like, all right, you know, like y'all know who I am and, and I've changed and grown over the summer. So now you get to meet the new me too. Yeah. And we're going to see what that is. So, I mean, we're just having a blast. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good way to put it where it's like, it, it is it's the higher public again but even in small ways like but these books are blue like they've got blue trim like <laughs> branded baby branded yeah, branded. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it doesn't matter right because it is a weird and bold move to just jump back like who who does that george lucas but yeah. you know yeah <laughs> he can pull it off right but like it's no. still big footsteps to walk in and so i think i'm really happy that they took that so seriously and they were like you're gonna know at a glance which books are phase two and yes. if you're paying attention you know what that means but even if you're not you know it's a different era than phase one and i think that was really smart so that sort of just all of that you know the the higher public we are the authors in a lot of ways with the face of it but the designers the pr people you know there's so many folks mm. that work goes into it that matters a lot sometimes in small ways that you don't notice but it's actually really big way oh absolutely i mean the the artists i mean we're, we're talking about comics today and a little bit when we get deeper into it but you've been working you know with harvey and with tony bruno and like these people that have to take your ideas and say i think this is how it looks and that's a lot of trust and i talked about it with zoraida you know talking yeah. about actual Greylark and, and about gela and these different characters in convergence and it's like to pour your heart and soul into something and then to see it in the case of comics rather quickly um because the turnaround in the comics industry is wild um constantly you know the, the page rates that they have to keep up with you're seeing like you know, if the idea is, oh, we're going to do Young Sav, it's like, oh, there she is. She's right in front of me. Like, now I, 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 I see everything. And it's it's got to be surreal. But talking about that time jump, that was really fun Star Wars reveal. I remember the video where you all sort of set it together that it was going right. back 150 years. Right. I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, that that was built in from the summits way back, knowing that that was going to happen. Because I believe it was Kevin Scott on Star Wars Explains channel that had said, it's the Godfather, you know, part two takes you back. And Ooh. part two is what throws everything back. And, and you can consume both parts without the other one. I mean, you, you could theoretically speaking, finish phase one and then 
wait for three. I don't know why you'd do that, but you could because one could, ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah. And, and you could read phase two on its own. And you could yeah. read phase two on its own or phase two first, you know, right. do some George Lucas thing there um, and go back. Like some kid 10 years from now is going to be like, I want right. to read them chronologically. Right. Um, <laughs> and that could happen. Godfather. Right. Exactly. And they either yeah, chronological yeah, yeah. cuts. So were you, in your opinion, I, mean, I know it's a group effort and then it's gotten bigger with people like Zoraida and Lydia Kang, George Mandel, yeah. everybody joining. Tessa Grattan, um, becoming part of the Luminous team. Did that give you pause of like, oh, we have to go backwards? Is that, am I losing something? Am I going to feel like I'm not having the momentum with, say, the kids or with anyone else that you'd established? Or was it uh, something that you felt was necessary? Uh, it's both. I-, I looked at it as a challenge. It is a challenge. For me, like I have two rules for flashbacks just in a regular book setting, right? Which is that it has to be urgently connected to the present tense. And it has to be its own story. And mm-hmm. that's how you justify it being there. If it's not one, both of those things, then it probably doesn't need to be there. Or at least if it's going to be there, it's only going to be in quick flashes, right? But if you're going to spend time, you know, if you're going to give us a whole episode in, in like a season, mm-hmm. a flashback, it better be worthwhile. It better be a good story into itself. And we better have a sense of somehow how it's, how it ties into what we're watching. That's that's to me that's what justifies its presence and both of those things are absolutely true in different ways it's obviously a totally different scale we're on but i think the same rules apply so i looked at it like that like it has to be its own story more than anything else um because especially because it is going to be standalone on some level right people are going to read it on their own so i was going into it like that and then you know i knew that in the larger story beats we had a lot of things that are going to make sense we'll see about that but so that was kind of taken care of on the big beat. So for me, I was like, okay, I need to, like you said, there's the cha- there's always a challenge in starting at the beginning of something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did have like a leg up, I think, because I was taking a known character and aging her down. And, you know, like Sav is just really close to my heart. Like she was almost, I don't know if I've ever said this before, but she was almost um, the girl from the uh, Oculus game. Yes, 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 yes. You have said that. She was uh, from the... Um... Yeah. You're she, right. Uh, yeah, from the, the Batu ones. Yeah, yeah. the Batu ones. Right, right. So originally it was going to be her, um, but I'm really glad it wasn't. Like, they, they needed her for other stuff, which totally worked out, which is a very Star Wars thing to happen. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'll make up a new character here, which is always a great thing to be. Um, so I was like, okay. So, so I made up Sav, and then as soon as I realized I had this, like, really badass older woman, and I knew we were going to jump back 150 years, um, it just seemed like really clear what to do so yeah Addie Sun Z you know having her story but then Sav introduced it is one of those like really happy accidents you know which has happened in the history of comics it's happened in Star Wars like oh well that's actually tied up here and that sort of forces you creatively to think well how do I accomplish a story I want to tell without then just doing Addie Sun Z 2 or somebody just like her and you viewed so much personality into Sav I think that Sav became a fan favorite i love seeing the fan art of her i love her attitude i love seeing her in edge of balance as well um in yeah. the manga uh stories with lily and sort of how she's there to challenge and to open up different worldviews and to and to to say like yeah i've been around the block a lot like quite a few times like and yes. now we we get the full picture of how old she is which is an interesting note like a lot of the higher public authors, at least in some way, were able to hold on to something. And you got to have Sav because of the longevity of her species. And, you know, Charles gets to have Porter Angle because of the longevity yeah. of his species. So some yeah. people got to stick around. Yoda and Yaddle, obviously. Sure. What were the conversations like about who 
who will be young back then because some of them, and we'll get into these two gentlemen in a little bit, Mr. Scissor Punch and uh, one <laughs> one Dexter Jetster. To my knowledge, fans did not know they were long lived uh, for for the longest time, and so to say, well, what if a Basilisk lived that long? He now he's got a darker mustache. He's younger. Like, what were, uh, how do you raise your hand and say, "Can we have Dexter a hundred years?" That's literally how it works. Literally, I was like, "Can we have Dexter?" Like, like literally. Like, Is there anything that says he can't live that long? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what Pablo's around for. Like, he's, yeah. he's like that dude who's like literally will just be like, uh, "No, I think that's fine," and it will be like. But you no, know, I mean we. Part of the meeting, I think this was probably at the summit. I'm sure this was in the initial conversation when we first all agreed. And I truly don't remember whose idea it was, but I know we were all just like, yeah, that'd be great to jump back, right, in 150 years. Um, one of the first things we did was just list the characters that would be available and potentially alive. And, mm. and that was really fun to do with Story Group, you know, with Pablo and with James, all the folks in the room. And, you know, so we were just like, oh, yeah, Yoda would be there, Yana would be alive, Maz would definitely be alive, because she's, what, like a thousand years old? You know, she's yeah, really like a thousand species and then the rest of them you just don't know so with dex uh being canonically a prospector and us dealing with prospecting in this uh, phase it just seemed really natural and then dex just being that character that like so many people just want more of he's such mm -hmm. a good character he has like such a short amount of time on screen but you just want more and you know it just it made sense and then canonically he also has that relationship with Maz um that we know about from the smuggler's guide and that's super cool so it just made perfect sense and i just remember doing the ask and be like okay can we can we get this guy you know can we get dex and mike was like yeah i think we can i'll run it up the ladder or whatever and it was fine um but with dex i really wanted to make sure like he played a real role like it wasn't just like a walk up or walk off because he's so great it, it's so much fun and i was messaging you about how much fun i had with it and I already loved Sav, and I think that what I had expressed to you, what I loved, and with her and with Dex, is that you experience them younger. And for Dexter, he's still an adult, but he's still younger, but you know, more out adventuring. And he did a little bit of that in Kirsten White's Padawan. So shout out to that as well, mm -hmm. him and meeting Obi. But it feels so natural of mm -hmm. the aging backwards, particularly with Sav. So much of it is about the world building and the mythos. Natural questions like if phase one, we have families that own certain hyperlanes and things are mostly discovered but there's still some things right if we scaled that back well then there'd probably be less knowledge about x y and z so all the world building stuff i feel is like not easier but it's more scientific and you're able to mm -hmm. say if x then y because mm -hmm. that's just like you know it's like playing sim city in reverse like we have right. to have less of this we have to have less of this there has to be less infrastructure these ways mm -hmm. and things you seeded like dalna but with personalities it's, I feel like it's way more amorphous and interesting. And yes. for an older woman like Sav to have this, this feisty, fiery energy and this rebelliousness, even as a master, it's like, well, then what kind of Padawan <laughs> would she have been? Like, totally. like, cause you, we are trained to think that masters have it figured out. Um, and, <laughs> but, but Sav's like, nah, I'm still going to rebel even as an older lady. And so it's 100%. super interesting to see. So how, what kinds of conversations did you have with yourself about her early days? Or did you sketch out more of her life than we were ever privy to? Um, no, it was really this question of like, where are we going to start? Where are we going to end? And it's complicated in a way by the but also a nice challenge when you know we know where it's going to end it's going to end with her being 
you know, this incredible Jedi, at least way down the road. We don't know what happens in between. And I think there's a lot of fun and tension to be pulled from that notion of like, okay, we know where it goes. We don't know how she gets there. Um, and then I'm just, as a, as a character, I really enjoy like writing her and her rebelliousness. But it's one thing to be rebellious in a system that you're like, okay, I'm part of this and this is part of my identity. And so I am and I fully embrace that. And it's a very other thing to be like, I'm not comfortable at all in this situation. I don't belong here. And this is not for me. And I'm sick of it. And that to me is a very adolescent journey to have, you know, for a character, like regardless of what the institution is, institutions suck when you're a teenager like, mm-hmm. you know, like very often like you don't feel like you're at home with them they're usually not built for you and they're certainly not built for you if you are this rebellious character who's just trying to like be chaotic and live her best life and that's that so it, for me it was like the first beat of that comic is her being like i'm fed up with, i'm only 15 and i'm fed up with the jedi like fed up with it and to me that's a really exciting starting point to jump off with because then we immediately throw her into the mix of pirates and that's where she feels at home right that's the opposite of institution it's chaos <laughs> it's like rebelliousness mm-hmm. implicitly and so then it's about what is that going to mean for her what is her journey from that point to the point where somehow she gets she stays a jedi we know that much and that was the journey i wanted to take her on so that was really i knew if i knew my starting point i knew my ending point i knew we were gonna you know have a lot of fun in between yeah and i think that one thing i really like about it is that it doesn't paint um because it's it's a fine line right like you don't want to especially post prequel trilogy and everything i think a lot of fans have the instinct of like well everything the jedi did was wrong and blah blah blah. it's like well it's way more nuanced than that and she is a kid but there has to be validity to what the kid is saying but also validity to what the adults are saying but the kids shouldn't be running off in pirates exactly you shouldn't be doing that but also maybe maybe sav has needs that need to be addressed and that's why we have stories but it's like the the interesting thing i think about the issue right off the bat is that it's all these parties are established immediately and we get you know the debut of the dankrax which is fantastic um especially you know yeah i just from from the gay i mean i was at the panel where their the artwork debut that you did uh and we were like I don't know who they are yet, but they're they're gonna be a riot. Like these are the Star Wars, these are the Star Wars losers that we've waited for. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but you get them, you get the pirates, you get Dex visiting, who has a relationship with all these pirates, right. the Jedi, and the law, you know, that there's also somebody that's like trying to do his job. Yes. Um with it's Raph, right? It's correct, it's Raph. It's Raph that's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah, and, and Raph is I think it's so funny your expectations about who's coded what way because we are we're our eyes in is romanticizing the pirates so we're like yeah get this guy out of here but then we're like actually no he's he's right to be stopping criminals like that's <laughs> he's he's not a bad guy just because him and Dex have sort of a contentious relationship right. and I, I like how many different parties you established right off the bat mm-hmm. so what was it like mapping this out in terms of I need to have this group, this group, this group, and this group. Exactly. That was, the, that was the hardest part. Yeah, that's that's what was hard, because I knew I wanted a lot of movie pieces in this story. Um, especially, I mean, so much of the story and so much of the thought behind it was almost done uh, in uh, in contrast to phase one, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Sav is the opposite of Lula. She's the anti-Lula. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Jedi Order looks very different at this point, even, and everything, you know, like, having, like, the, the Nile are a form of pirates, in a way. And now here we are with a very different kind of pirate, but, you know, pirates are on the good guy side, basically. But there's also some that are bad. Like, so I knew I was moving a lot of pieces around, and I knew I had to establish them very quickly and very clearly. That was the mission. It's like, obviously, mission number one for any issue is tell a great story. Uh, make it fun, make it exciting, have some adventure, have some laughs, all that, right? So you want that in there. But 
beginnings, they're so hard because your your job on top of that is to establish and not do it in like a monotonous way. But the fun thing about comics, I think, is you kind of, you can get away with info dumps a little bit differently. Like if it was prose, you know, you couldn't just be like, and here's all the characters on the page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here's the crew. Bah, 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 right? That's not good prose usually. But with comics, you can just have this great two-page spread where Tony is doing incredible artwork of these incredible characters and, you know, you get to see them and feel the vibe of the place and everything. And then you can have these quick little introductions and then keep it moving. Like it, it doesn't feel like it holds the story of like it would in prose. So that was something I was like, let me take advantage of that. Let me get the Grax in there just barely. Like you really only see the head Grack. Um, and then we kind of like keep it moving and you get the gist of them because Maz explains it, right? So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's like all these little pieces are in there. And then it's Raph, and then it's keeping the story moving and keeping it like moving around that. Because the second you stop moving, things start to fall apart. Right? So that, that was the challenge of the issue. Um, and I knew if I could like keep like a steady flow, both of information and of action happening, that it would pretty much work out. So that was the, that was the methodology. I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, the difference between prose and comics, you know, having read comics my entire life, it's true. You get moments that get to be cinematic. If we're looking at the sort of central room of Maz's castle near the bar and we're her, you know, then it's like, okay, that this is a shot where we would see all these characters. But what if it was like record scratch, fill the reader in, you can play with perspective that way, uh, which is a lot of fun. I ended up with an extra page for some reason. I can't remember why. I think I skipped a few pages when I was writing the script and and I think I even turned it in that way. And Tony was like, um, I don't think there's like a page 13 or whatever. And I was like, oh, crap. And that's actually why uh, that, that's uh, two-page spread. It's like two back-to-back two-page spreads. Mm-hmm. Originally, it was just going to be, you know, Maz getting dressed as page one. Sav getting dressed as page one. And then Sav sneaking out is kind of a, it was just a splash of page two. And then page Something like that. But it just worked out in a way where I got to do this big page of Sal crossing the lake. And that to me was like such a great moment to kind of linger on for a minute because it's like the calm before the storm, right? Like this very peaceful, beautiful night and this right. hilarious moment with, this, with the fairy droid and this feeling of freedom that she has. And then like, and then it just leads you right into this world of, of Maz's, you know, pirate kingdom. And I just I love the contrast of those two pages against each other, which only happened by accident, basically. Yeah, I'm looking at them here and, and you're right, like the the moon behind the mountains, behind the yeah. castle. Yeah. And it's like it has like this because comics are so kinetic and they have that advantage, like this idea that there is this world waiting on the other side and but the lake is like it's just a it's just one ride away but it could not be more different like you know peace right. and justice and serenity yeah. over <laughs> here and, and then, then yeah and then pure chaos drinking right. space beer and a and, pirate's life is the life for me <laughs> exactly and even the even the droid that's operating the little boat is like <laughs> kind of like on the take like has like secrets and everything so everything yeah. yeah, everything that's not the Jedi. You get the idea that the Jedi are. It's not they're not welcome. Like Maz doesn't have a problem, but the, yeah, they're they they're the minority though. But the the Jedi right. is like the, when the Jedi show up to a place or have a temple on a place, they are the focal point. And the thing about Takodana is that they're not. And exactly. <laughs> this is not their turf. And so yeah. what what attracts you to this place? Because it's it's a at this point, it's a planet we've had for a few years since Force Awakens. Instantly iconic. You have Han Solo yeah. and Rey and Finn. Yeah. Everybody's there. And it was that planet, I think, settled a lot of people into new Star Wars in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this feels right. But what you've yes. done is taken higher public characters, place them in this sequel trilogy setting, thrown <laughs> decks in from the prequels. 
establish new groups. Like you've made Takodana like this mixtape. And then Solo era, right? We got Therm in there from the Solo. And Solo, yeah, and Therm from Solo, who I was not trying to do that. (laughs) Therm straight from the Denny's menu. special cards he's back maybe yes. uh it's he's it just just his presence is hilarious like i think even savvy when comments like well his last name is scissor punch like, <laughs> like come on what, what else do you have to, it doesn't matter what he does that's his name that's all you need to know like yeah yeah, yeah that was cool. another one i was like ain't no way they're gonna let me use therm not that like anyone not that he's like in demand yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, I still didn't, you know i just remember the note from pablo like i don't know what a baby therm would look like but oh, um it's great but yeah anyway so no I, for me like taco donna was uh, like that is the the sequel trilogy's kind of answer to Java's Palace in a way, mm-hmm. right? And like you know that I'm a Java's Palace guy. That's my yeah. that's my spot. So seeing that, I just remember that moment in the theater and being like, oh my god, like we're getting another, you know, cantina, another spot of where like a watering hole, like a diner, like where all of these different creatures are. This is a creature lover's haven, and I'm a creature lover. Like I love that, and I love. Uh, culture and and chaos and how they all come together and that's just that place but it's almost like a light side version of that right like it's not totally in the light it's definitely kind of neutral gray i guess but yeah but there's honor like you're yeah you're not under the threat of death when you're with mom right right right. yeah you're safe so that's how it ended up in last shot because i love it and being able to you know bring han there was really fun and then i was just like oh more chance to be in like i'll take it you know it's just fun yeah, and, and the way that it's intimately connected now, like we are able to piece together sort of in the same way that with Tatooine or with Coruscant, like the story of the world or, or right. now with Ferrix and Andor, like the way that that yeah. planet is like, we know it. We know Takodana now. We we have several different inns, whether it's Maz, right. whether it's Han, whether it's now Sav the or Battle the Court. Front. And Battlefront right. as well. Yeah, getting yeah, to actually court. walk around right. in there. And it. Court's connection there and understanding mm-hmm. that like, one day, if you're reading this in publication order uh, and you've been following it, you know that Sav is going to become somebody that looks after future young Jedi there, like Court. And so, but right now she's that person. And I love what you said about the anti-Lula because I have always loved looking at the Padawans of the Higher Public, particularly the ones in Adventures, because there is such a school vibe, especially early before, you know, everything hit the fan with Yoda and everything like we're out where we don't all have the same master, but this is like a study abroad. It had this feeling and all these kids are different kids that we know. And Lula to me has always read as the gifted kid that was burning the candle at both ends and like was absolutely way too into it and wasn't being kind to themselves. Zine is a story of discovery and and everybody has sort of their thing. Sav is like also a gifted kid. Like she's great at this, great at it. Totally. But she's the kid, she's the, the other kind of gifted kid that like is burns out and is like, oh, why? Why this? Aren't we past this? And I think that that's such a different thing to write. So I, think that's maybe, me. <laughs> I was just about to ask, where where are you in that? Is I'm, I'm not Lula. you? I, I love Lula, but I think I'm Sav. I'm like a uh, like a Sav with Gordon Ram rising. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gordon Ram rising. Ram, Ram Moon, Court rising, Sav son. Something like that. Because I was that kid. Like, I remember distinctly drawing. It was a homework assignment in, like, fourth grade. I remember drawing this, like, really amazing picture. Because I, I was a kid artist. Like, mm. I loved to draw. I always had paper and pen with me. And I was really good at it because I did it all the time. It was just my way to process the world. And I remember turning in something. It was, a, it was like, the assignment was just, like, illustrate something for the book reading. Or something, you know, whatever. And I drew this, like, intense picture with the woods and the 
sun coming in and the shadow being cast and all this cool shit. And I turned it in and the guy, the teacher was like, you did this in like five minutes. I was like, yeah, but it's dope. <laughs> he was like, yeah, but you didn't try hard enough. And I was like, come on, man. Like, how do you know? Like, time doesn't equal effort first of yeah. whatever. You know, I obviously didn't say that. I was like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> I was 10. But I, yeah, like, I, I'm not saying I was like gifted across the board like Sav is, but I definitely was like, um, you know, just that weird kind of board, but also really good at stuff. But also like, like there were just certain kinds of learning I could not fathom or tolerate. And yeah. when I was trapped in them, I spiraled. Like I didn't know, like emotionally and academically, just completely like went off the rails, which is basically where Sav is at. Like, and even like to the point of being like, I need to get out of the situation. Like, even though I had a great family and a great home situation, I had moments where I was like, I don't know if I can stay here as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And it was purely because my brain wasn't being fed in the right way. And I just think like, whatever that means, whatever like label it gets, I just, you know, I think we need to have that conversation about how our brains deal with stuff and with so much more humanity than we do. And I think we definitely just need to see characters that like reflect all those different ways to learn and to take in the world. Um, and to realize that and to see them have to kind of buck against even something as great as the Jedi Order, like they, you know, if they're not providing for this kid who needs to learn in a certain way, then they're failing her. So mm-hmm. it's like it is on Sav to like, you know, not get murdered in a pirate situation, but it's also on her elders to figure out that like something isn't working. This is the most talented Jedi padawan you know on the planet and she's sneaking out at night what's going on with us it's an interesting question because i think a lot of star wars again how we're trained with star wars and we've seen obviously jedi go off the path there's this anakin guy people might have heard of like it, it, it has happened um yep. and and for different reasons even in high republic we've had younger people not necessarily padawans but younger people um like des Ryden, where it's like they reach this crisis and then it's like they go, and cantum oh cantum and midnight horizon all those flashbacks yeah. Oh, yeah. but it doesn't what i love about these stories is that they've introduced new layers where we're, we're used to like oh well a jedi straight from the path well it must be the dark side it must be rage yeah. it must right. be anger it right. must be lust. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's discovery. Sometimes it's, again, learning styles like we're talking right. about. Or, sometimes or it's Jedi <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it's just like, I'm not a fit for this right now, but it doesn't mean that I don't love it. It doesn't mean I'm going to betray you. Like, you're not, like, Sav is not, doesn't read as an angry teenager. She reads as right. a teenager that's like, there has to be more. Right. Um, there has to be more right. than this. And right. I think that that's super relatable and it will definitely hook a lot of people. And the way that she is respected by Maz and by Dex, I think is something that plays well into what we're discussing, especially with Dex seeing her bust out the sabers and then keeping her secret and saying like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to tell on you, which is fun for prequel kids like my age who know that he's best buddies with the Jedi by the time right. of Attack of the Clones. Like, he clearly has respect for these people and can work well with them. Right. Trusted, He's a trusted source. Um, but I think it's interesting that when she shows up to these pirate things and you get the idea that it's been going on and Sav, you know, Maz knows her, that they sort of see this kid and they respect her in a way not that the jedi don't but in the way that the jedi don't realize is possible like that that you can that you can treat a young person like a young adult and not like just your charge or just like a padawan which is a huge distinction i love that so much it's such a great point because there is a and it's almost ironic because the respect that they give her is the respect of letting go right there the respect that they show is in a form of, of not being like we have to hypermanage your life and your situation and make sure you're doing all these things and playing it safe and everything else they're respecting her in a form that's like 
which is obviously dangerous in its own right, but they're saying like, okay, you know, you're this kid who's in this adult world, we're going to keep an eye on you, but we're not going to like regulate you, right? And the Jedi, for all their talk of letting go, they're also very regulated in their life and in their like how they treat, you know, Padawans. And it's for a reason. It's because when they, if they were to go to the dark side, it's a nuclear weapon, basically. So there's a, there's, you know, to your point too, there's a rationale behind it. They're not just like being fascist about it. <laughs> like yeah. they have reasons for what they do. Um, but it's important to see, I think, especially for someone like Sam, to see this other way of being respected. That moment that you brought up, I always forget that it's in there when I'm reading over when I was doing edits and stuff, uh, where Dex, you know, she's like, so about my lightsaber. And then the next line is like, you know, he kept my secret. Like, that's such an intimate and it always makes me smile because I think it's such a powerful thing for, you know, her to trust this person that she looks up to but doesn't know at all. She doesn't really have a choice. She's like, I need you to keep the secret for me. And he does. And like, that's a very Dex moment i think like seeing him as a as a caretaker and as someone that has the respect for this young person to be like you know what that's your business that's your secret i'm not gonna bring it over here and we're just gonna let it play out how it plays out yeah and with dex it's like he it's been 20 years and a lot of us grew up with that so the conversation has changed 20 years ago that scene got a lot of you know got dogged on it was those cheesy it's just a 1950s diner but when you look at it now and as we've grown up and you know the prequel generation has sort of gotten to be a part of the conversation that scene i always tell people is so key because dex has every bit of like Dex is media literate about the story that he's in. Like yes. he, he he tells Obi Wan, like I thought you Jedi would have more respect for the difference between knowledge and wisdom, mm. and yeah. I see that in the way that he is here, the way he right. was in Padawan. Like this younger Dex already has a little bit of that, where like knowledge is knowing that a Jedi Padawan probably shouldn't be doing this. Wisdom is knowing that you should respect her, and that. Exactly. In that you know, and that he's been around long enough to know the kid can clearly handle herself. Exactly. I can handle myself. Maz can handle herself. Like it's gonna be fine. Dex yes. is already that guy that sees the larger picture. Right. Um, and really he's still looking out for her. You know, like mm -hmm. there, there's a panel that I love so much that Tony really like took this to another level because all I said was, you know, he's jumping out of the boat and he's like, stay behind. You know, don't 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 follow me. Right when they're going into certain danger, and she's jumping out at the same time going not like right <laughs> unlike mm -hmm. and like i didn't in my head i wasn't thinking of it this way but the way tony drew it she's mimicking him exactly so on the one hand she's literally said to being completely defined it's so sad she's being like i'm there's no chance that i'm gonna do exactly what you're telling me to do right now i'm defying you to your face and i'm also like completely shadowing you and doing exactly what you do because i look up to you and like, <laughs> that wow. combination of things defines who sav is at this point in her life she adores math math like she adores decks like the whole world is so cool to her and the fact that she gets to be a part of it at all is, is like the best thing that's ever happened to her and she's and because of that like she will openly defy the people she adores to like still be part of it and that's just that's who she is yeah and even when she's older you know around the time mm -hmm. of phase one like with her interactions with lily or her interactions with the kids and adventures it's like she's still doing that like she can yeah. she can respect and have compassion for you and still challenge you at the same time and exactly. still want to be a part of this group as she is you know she's a master by that point but she's mm -hmm. she's that doesn't mean that she's gonna fall in line and be like selling right. geos or be like, like like she's she's not vying for a council seat or anything like that like <laughs> <She's the opposite laughs> <stuff>. <laughs> yeah like and, and 
even I think even Stellan and Arkoff even sort of remark about her in Edge of Balance, if I remember. They're like, oh, Sav's there? <laughs> oh, Sav. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They're like, Sav went to the temple? Right. Nice. <laughs> Have fun with that. You guys um, will be fine. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. Um, you know, we mentioned Maz a few times. We got to talk about her. Because she's mm-hmm. another one where aging decks back is one thing, and that's a certain amount of years. And now we know that they're long lived, but that's less defined. With Maz, it was defined, at least to a certain degree, like a yeah. thousand years. And this this watering hole that we get the idea that much like the Millennium Falcon has been like won and lost and played for, and that she had just you know defended it recent semi recently um, right. uh, from the leader of the Denkraks, and that's why there's this Takodana beef that's going on. <laughs> what was it like taking her? all the way back because that's still it's not a not a huge skywalker saga role but pretty right. key especially for ray she's got a right. voice she has you know lupita nyong'o like performs and so how do you yeah. take someone like her that is that long lived and i guess these are questions that charles Soule also had to face that zoraida and lydia and everyone that's going to be handling yaddle justina handled yaddle how do you logically age someone back not to childhood but to right. a place where less things have happened where their right. line of work is different because not an active pirate than when we exactly. see her in like last shot so yeah. adding this she will leave and also kick some ass right. what was this version like what were those conversations like yeah you know it, some of it was just like where's the story going to take us uh some of it was just very natural questions like that exactly right like here she's an active pirate you know one of the first things i said was can we give her a new fit can we make her more kind of regal and like you know pop in in different ways so that was really fun it's a small thing but what you wear tells you a lot about a character right so immediately this is a flashier mask like she's not just wearing these kind of random set around clothes like she's wearing these these clothes that define her as the leader of this of this group, right? I think she's automatically and immediately much less grounded. Like the second we meet her, she's ready to just fly off and like deal with the situation. Mm-hmm. So like, let's go deal with this, right? I mean, she she doesn't leave that much. Um, I mean, she's out and about to some extent, I think, in the sequels, but you know, this is I just really wanted to establish her as like a Maz who's out in the world. Uh, kind of similar to how we have Yoda like very out and about with the Padawans, you know, phase one. And then finally, I think like that relationship that you spoke of with Ray is so important, but that really also like Yoda, like speaks to Maz as a, as a, a caretaker of the young and not in a um, obnoxious way, not in a way where she's trying to like belittle them in any way or hold them back, but the opposite, she just really wants people to come into their own power. And she does it in her very piratey type way. Yoda does it in his very Jedi type way. So they're very different in, in some ways, but they're also both just these wise elders who look out for the people coming up, you know, they didn't have to take time to like lift up anybody, right? They could have just lived their big famous legendary lives and kept it moving, but we really see them like connect to young people. And I think that's something I just love about both those characters. So that's something I wanted to like keep around, right? Like, like that we, we know, we see Maz through Sav's eyes and Sav adores her. Like I said, she's just like, this person is incredible. And she wouldn't do that if she wasn't someone that, you know, on some level is like open to these young folks kind of on the come up. Yeah, it's something that she, that I always love that she communicated with Han and Finn is, is the idea of like, I've seen these same eyes over time. Like I, I've, I've lived, I know this, even though Han is an old man by that point, she's right. is so much infinitely older that right. to her like everyone in her charge they're all her kids in a certain way exactly. and exactly. The, the way that she like looks at finn and and immediately knows what he's about she's sort of able to do that here too um with these young people which i really like and and ma's always being 
the type of character that High Republic has done really well with is like Jedi adjacent or Force adjacent, where it's like she right. knows what it's about. But right. you know, you get the idea that when Maz was a baby, like maybe the Jedi could have found her, but like nah, like so, so, some scoundrel <laughs> probably found her, some 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 yeah. uh, criminal enterprise or, or right. royal or something. Like she's so there's still the idea there's so much more. Like she's already a legend 380 years before Phantom Menace ish. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting to see that. And in terms of all of phase two, you know, we don't want to spoil anything upcoming, nor could we even if I asked. Uh, but like this arc will be ongoing. There's this pirate adventure that kicks off. But what I'm curious about phase two in general, for as much as you can say, is that there's been lots of questioning of institutions of the force powers who should have it we have cults going on we have you know royal family wars going on there's tons of stuff going on in the galaxy comparatively a pirate turf war seems smaller but where do you see that thematically tying in with some of the challenging that we're seeing in path of deceit or in convergence what is the theme statement what does that mean for pirates yeah well i think in this in this particular narrative you know we're really talking about sam seeing the wider world right so her quest is understanding like a jedi's place in the world or maybe a non-jedi's place in the world and all of those things and in so doing uh the force is a big part of that conversation i think the force as uh as a power player almost or just as this concept that people are wrestling with all over the galaxy is definitely a unifying piece of the whole face and mm. you know you'll see it uh, in the books you'll see it in the comics you'll see it everywhere that i mean just having it set on jetta you know brings that to light with um cab stuff and georgia stuff and you know just the the cult obviously like there's so many different conversations happening about the force and in phase one we had those with jedi primarily and now it's an opportunity to continue with the Jedi conversation, but also have it with these different non-Jedi characters and see, you know, how are they interacting with the Force, whether they're Force-sensitive or not, you know, just... And so that that's a piece of, as we'll learn, the Dank Grax being who they are is really important to the story and really important to Sav's journey through that and seeing all these different angles, right? Because as a Jedi, as a Padawan, like, you know, you grew up in a temple, not only do you not see the wider world necessarily, but you're not seeing what it looks like for other people to have a relationship with the Force. All you know is the Jedi understanding of the Force. And I think it's really interesting to throw her in immediately with someone like Maz, who has a different relationship to the Force, you know, who's Force-sensitive, but hasn't made that a really key touchstone of her life. It's just something that is true, you know, and she uses it in different ways that we will kind of look at. And then seeing, like, how people who suck <laughs> use the Force, right? <laughs> people who aren't necessarily good at the Force and aren't good people use the Force. And, like, what does that look like? And then what does it mean to be up against people like that? And all of those things, right? Because there's no active Sith right now, like the, the Jedi are aware of. So we're not going up against, you know, that type of force user, but um, there are other force users in the world, in the galaxy, and they matter. And not only in terms of conflict, but just in terms of understanding, like, what does that mean when, you know, the force is used that way? What does it mean to grow up with the force, but not in a disciplined way, like Sav has, yeah. and have it as like, you know, just something around, you know, and and the dead cracks are like, on the one hand, there's just automatic comedy in that, like, that's hilarious to me, the, the idea that like, you know, they're not that good at it, like, they're not disciplined, and but they just kind of use it sometimes for practical jokes, because they're just jerks, right? But yeah. also, like, um, A, it's really important to show that it, the force takes work it's not just something you can just be like oh cool i have the force i can do whatever like jedi have to they grow up focusing learning focus concentration meditation all this stuff like it's not just boom and you know and we see that but we also we don't get enough opportunity to see it 
not working, like <laughs> the importance of that. So all those yeah. things are in there, you know, and they're all for through the lens of SAV to explore and like learn about how the force works in the galaxy, you know, as she's going through her journey. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting to see that unpacked across the phase. Particularly, I right. think you know, Jeddah was a really interesting culture shock for me as a reader, and I and obviously that's Cab's book, but for all of you having shaped it together and deciding who's going to do what and where things are going to be, yeah. you know, we're we're told in Rogue One and and in other stories that Jeddah is this holy city and or was this holy city and but still kind of is, but is you know, yeah. it's fallen on hard times and then right. you know, one mining disaster later and suddenly it's over. But even then, it's like there's the fallen Jedi statue and the, the desert. And we we sort of, because of the language of the film, we assume, oh, this must have been a Jedi city at one time. But what I love about this phase is that it's like, oh, they were there, but there was also like 18 right. other faiths that right. were all like, oh, you said it was a holy city. It's, it is, yeah. but for right. everybody. And, right. you know, this, this phase feels like the force comma but what about that um in an interesting way that not that phase one didn't question things because it absolutely did but by the time we get to people like avar and you know phase one starts with avar having everyone unified and this feels less like that in a cool way which i think yeah the deceit does that so well i think you know like having the cult obviously the cult is a built-in conversation about the force for sure but even just having all these different characters within path of deceit including the jedi including the cult members uh with all these different relationships to the force right like you have a force sensitive one who's not comfortable with that doesn't know what what that means and and then one that is kind of cool with it and like you know like all these different you know ways that they play off each other in relationships i think that's so cool that's embodied to your point in jedda in a you know in a perfect way jedda is such a cool place and like especially right now with like it's the andor era of star wars like it's great to have those works all be in conversation in cool ways you know so yeah i just love all that and i think it's just such a cool thing to be like like i said with phase one because we're dealing with the jedi primarily and we're also we find out dealing with this creature that that feeds off the force right Mm -hmm. and so the force has taken on a new prominence i think in terms of like the high republic's conversation and so to then jump back 150 years thematically and to have these complex conversations about the force you know we're we're in conversation with ourselves on some level and that's all we'll see where that all goes And in terms of the conversation with, you know, the other projects and the other works, we can't speak too much to it. But also in this phase, just because of, you know, timing, and it is still a little bit ways off, we're going to be revisiting Edge of Balance, and you're still going to be there. Um, and that's with uh, Tomio Ogata, and that's called Precedent. And that's going to be the next chapter, the next chapter, but phase two. So that's prequelized. And we know we've got Arkoffs in there. Um, Mm -hmm. And so my first question for you, people want to know, people are me, I want to (laughs) know. What color is Arkoff? Is he white <laughs> or is he brown? What color uh, is his fur? Uh, I don't know if I can answer that because I'm not sure if I know the right answer. So I'm gonna have to hold off on that one. That's okay because I just wondered. I was. I is remember. He silver. I feel like he's silver. Because when you read manga, it's all black and white, and then he's the picture of him in the habit somewhere the poster there is a picture there's a concept art of him but i couldn't tell if that was just manga styled or not no no the one the poster where it says like who's gonna live who's gonna die who's gonna tell your story or whatever for the style oh 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 is is he on that yeah he's on it because i always sign right next to it he's at the bottom right oh okay oh nice okay cool i'm gonna pull that up now let's see yeah should check check because <laughs> like poster if he's with lily then i just never notice and i'm a fool aha mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah. look at him oh yeah, yeah. he's like kind of grayed up that's awesome yeah. maybe I, I just like auto corrected it in my brain and only saw right. nice okay cool so arkoff 
Arkoff also yes. coming back. Wookiee's long lived. Long lived. Can you tell us about where he is sort of mentally, emotionally. What can you tease? This book is really cool. Like it's different from it's very different from the other edge of balances. It's the ty- it's a type of story that I've always wanted to write and I've never um, written until now, which is a very long form kind of um well not a long form in terms of how long the story itself is but uh, how much time it spends it spends a great amount of time and there's a very cat and mouse aspect to it that i've always loved reading and have never quite gotten a chance to just like get into that so that is cryptic but i will leave that there um arkoff is very different in this era you know he's he's not a pattern one but he's a much younger um knight and we meet his master uh, when from when he was a Padawan, and we we just see him learning, which we don't, you know, he's so like wizened and everything else. And it's really cool to to watch him like take lessons in and and fail and grow and learn and get better and fail some more. So that's really cool. I will also say that it's very tied into the bigger story we're telling in a way that I don't think people are going to quite realize or see coming um, because like the manga have so far been a little off to the side. Mm-hmm. Like there've been cool kind of Easter eggs and moments. And like, you know, when I stepped in, I brought some of my characters with me and stuff. And that was the cool interconnectivity. This manga is much more connected and much more pertinent to the like a story of the higher public. And that's really cool. That's really exciting. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like they've always been connected. You could see where you are. You know where you went, you know, when in the timeline it is. But Sav showing up was a big moment of like, these are two characters that I already really liked. I loved Lily and, yeah. and you know, and the volumes that Justina yeah. did. And now here they yeah, are together. Yeah. Everybody's just been crushing. Um, from your perspective as a fan, and obviously you're privy to things. So it's like you, you can take this answer. However, what are you the most excited about in terms of what's coming up that you have nothing to do with? Oh, God, all of it. I, I, it's such a bad answer, but really all of it. Like, um, uh, Path of uh, Vengeance is really incredible. Path of Vengeance um, with the most metal goth cover I've ever amazing seen. Amazing cover. I, so cool. Yes. And uh, the way that that connects to the cover connects to the Path of Deceit one, like mm-hmm. uh, um, Lydia's book. I hate to be like everything, but everything. But uh, but also, it's it's not even about like one project or another, but to me, like, the way that this phase uh, climaxes and, and, you know, comes to a head and then brings us into phase three um, is just something really special. And it's it's really different from phase one. Yeah. And it's just so cool to see a story like coalesce, like a mega story, right? Like the macro beats of it, to see them all come together and the way that they entwine and the way that they don't. So it's it's really like the big picture that I'm looking at that I'm excited at. And just the way the, the fandom is and the readership is, the way that people put pieces together is so mm-hmm. cool. Like that makes it so thrilling. Obviously the Easter eggs, but just also like the thematic work. Like people are just like, it, this, to see the work land and the interconnectivity land and the thematic stuff land, like in yeah. readers, like, as they you know create work based on it and fan art and cosplay and everything else like that's what i'm excited for like i'm excited for our work to be out in the world and i'm excited to see the work um that the readers do in in being in conversation with them it's been amazing to see i mean that high republic meetup the panel the um, meetup the costume everything that happened at that celebration everything. it was yeah. amazing that like that first that was the first time that we had been able to it was a special celebration anyway because it's you know yeah. the world right. has opened back up a little bit right. and you know things are still crazy but it was you know we, the higher public didn't get to have its proper coming out party and it right. was delayed and then it comes out during covid and it ended up being a light for people while they were all locked up and so yep. it ended up working in its own way um there were certain things about it that felt 
I've said before, like Star Wars doesn't need to be one thing. And in the wake of Andor, there is a lot of that discussion of like some people putting down other Star Wars because they love Andor so much. But it's like, no, right. I need I need my oh, yeah. super a cab anti-fascist like prison industrial complex critiques and andor but i also need therm scissor punch like i need (laughs) i but and i also need you know people like sav i need people like porter angle like this aspirational mythic characters and Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. more grounded characters and i think that and you've gotten to play them both which is really interesting Mm -hmm. um and in this phase we're seeing a lot of both everybody is sort of being a sav sort of is the challenge, you know, to the status right. quo. But even in the Marvel series that Cav's doing, like he right. he's being challenged. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he, he gets there to Jedi and it's like Jedi business. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, issue one, my heart stopped. Like, oh, it's this crazy, <laughs> yeah. this crazy introduction to all these yeah. other peoples and everybody's being challenged. There's all of these, all this duality. And mm-hmm. as we were just talking there, something that dawned on me is how phase two has project pairings in an interesting way. Like mm. there's, there's, you know, the two Del Rey novels are companions and then the two path of YAs are companions. Right. Um, and not that, you know, the Marvel book and, and the IDW book are companions necessarily, but mm-hmm. they're unpacking a lot of the same things. Was that intentional um, to do these? I mean, down to Justina and Tessa even co-writing one, which is not a usual thing. Uh, I think it was definitely a clear mandate to kind of have these like through lines much more clearly of like characters and themes and stories through like, okay, this is the YA track, this is the middle grade track, and not to focus so much, particularly in this phase, not to focus so much on interconnectivity, but to let each track kind of be its story, like beginning, middle, and end, which is true in phase one, but in a very different way and in a slightly more chaotic way, which is what phase one needed to be like that's mm. exactly what it should have been this is very different so while there is interconnectivity and i think it actually pops even more because there's less of it um you know you'll see down the road where certain sort of stories cross paths or even like not quite but almost and that type of thing um but it's not the focus right so it is much more like all right here's where we're going with this and if you follow this line you know that's what we'll do so that was all very intentional and then it was kind of for us to play with, I guess. And in terms of phase two's sort of progression, you know, we can't, we're not going to talk too much about the business side of it, but because, you know, there's always business, publishing schedules, all mm-hmm. that stuff, mm-hmm. so many moving parts, mm-hmm. but it is very noticeably to a lot of us much tighter. And you're telling a shorter story, maybe not yeah. in terms of page count, literally, someone would have to do the math, but no, it is, it is yeah, it is, it is literally shorter. There's less mm-hmm. projects in it. Is that supposed to be sort of an intentional pacing sort of gut punch or was it just we don't want to overextend or is it that the point is to interlude between one and three? How did that sort of happen? Um, I don't know if I can say, but it's a great question. I will say for myself, like, you know, all I know is kind of I, I, I do know bigger stuff, but what I know for adventures, right, is like. Mm-hmm. I know that I have eight issues, right? And with those eight issues, I know I have to tell this complete story. Uh, versus even, the, I think, what was it? 13 for phase one. In yeah, adventure. yeah. Um, that's a very different number. And on top of that, I knew with phase one, I was building off that story in a, with one middle grade and closing it out with one YA. And I wanted them all to be interconnected because I knew I could. Um, this is like very different. This is eight issues, no YAs, no middle grades, which I'm, you know, thrilled about too, because I get to really just focus on this exactly what it is. So I knew I was telling this concrete story from beginning, middle to end. I know like issue four, I'm coming up on the middle point. So all those kind of like beats of storytelling, like they're that they, they, you're trying to figure out how, how you're spreading them out or 
condense them based mm. on the story you're telling. I did myself a, I, I threw myself a curveball in getting really character happy and giving myself so many characters. Yeah. It's like literally two teams and one of them is huge and they all have characters that I want to tell the stories of because they're all really interesting. So the challenge for me is like in that even more condensed way, like, because it's more characters than in phase one with less issues, fewer issues. Mm. And, and you know, on the other hand, it's so like sad. This is sad story. So any anything we're seeing is basically through her eyes for now. And, you know, so there's all these different kind of constraints on it. But all those are just like really fun challenges. Like that's my job as a storyteller is to throw myself curveballs and then to figure out what to do with them. And, you know, that's been really fun and rewarding. There's always a moment where you're like, oh, God, wait, is this going to work? Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, and then you figure it out. You have to learn how to think on your feet and improvise to some extent around because I obviously have the bigger beats figured out and went into it with them. And even that some of those changed like in the process. And I was like, oh, wait, uh, I need this planet or whatever. Yeah. And and then on the way, as you get into the minutia, you find out new things and find opportunities, you know, to open up different worlds and connections or characters. I will say that I, I figured out a way to put in a last shot Easter egg. Nice. In issue three that I can't wait for people to see and be like, oh, so... Oh, it'll be me. It'll be I'll be, I'll be freaking out. I'll be like, it's Peekpa's great, 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 great grandmother confirmed. No, uh, <laughs> it's you have to hit me up when you when you find it because it's it is a deep cut. I must say that even for me, this oh, is a deep cut. I'm excited. I gotta. I haven't. I haven't reread Last Shot in a little bit. You know what I'll do? I should. I should listen to it because I've never listened. Oh to yeah. It. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I should do that. But um, because you know, Mark Thompson and Han, Han his Hans and his Landos are always great. But um yeah, he's he's fantastic. And and, and I was so glad that he got to be on the panel too at celebration because yeah. uh what he contributes is so so rich and hearing the stories come alive. If if I have time, I try to read them and listen to them because Del Rey uh and and, and the whole team on the audio side, they put so much into it and it's it's always oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um and Disney Disney Lucasfilm Press too with the the mm-hmm. YAs and stuff. As we start to wind down here, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to get the questionnaire at the end, which you've never gotten before because you you haven't been on since the questionnaire was created or oh, lifted. Okay, cool. So you'll get that. But right. a couple things that I've been thinking about a lot lately with authors and, and, and screenwriters and different people. And we talked about it with Zoraida. And if people haven't, first of all, if you haven't read Convergence, definitely do that. Yeah. Um, and then head back and listen to that episode. Mm-hmm. We talked about how from her point of view of her own work, she's sort of been not telling the same story, but asking the same question and finding new questions throughout her career. Do you think now that you've been a Star Wars author for years at this point, the time flies, Yeah. and non-Star Wars stuff, Ballad and Dagger's been out now you know, during all of this, how have you changed as an author, as a Star Wars author, and do you think that you're still asking the same questions, new ones? Is there one question at all? Man. What a great question. Jeez, uh, how have I changed? Uh, I've definitely changed. I don't know if the how is anything I could put into words. I, w- I wish I could. Um, some of it is hard to track because, like, you know, with, with Star Wars especially, you take the opportunities that come to you, right? Or you don't. But the, but in the High Republic, it's a little different because you can kind of set out and be like, you know, hey, I really want to tell this story or whatever. And, and largely we're able to. Um, but it's always within the constraint of the larger world, whether that's mm-hmm. because of the original trilogy stuff or because of your other writers, you know, there's a certain amount of kind of like the, you're maneuvering within this stuff, which is the joy of it and the challenge of it. Um, so, I, you know, I think like to some extent, like I I, know, I remember getting into Star Wars and being like, man, I would love to be able to 
just to have a deep conversation about the force and like what it must be like for a Jedi to like feel this tremendous power mm. and not always know what to do with it and, and be a part of something so huge that's also very conflicting at times. Um, because that's something I can understand. I think storytelling is a tremendous power that can change the world and is also very dangerous. And, you know, we have to deal with very responsibly and like disciplined, like that's the force. And, and as a spiritual person, you know, like feeling connection to a higher power or what does that mean? So all those conversations, ones I had with myself and I felt like that's in the world so perfectly. And I would love to just engage with that. So writing a book like Midnight Horizon felt like a dream come true in the sense that it, I just didn't, ever imagined that I would be able to do with all these new Jedi, you know, in a new world that we're all having new convers- new, a new era, having conversations about it in different ways. And then every book you write, you become a different person in the process of writing it because you have to step up to become the person that will be able to finish the book. You become the writer that you need to be to finish the book, every single book. Each one has grown, you know, as a writer, as a human, as a father, you know, as a partner, but like all of those things, like you, you grow. If you let them, you know, you will. I think you will anyway, but I think you could fight it or not. So I think in those sense, like every single book has changed me and every single project, you know, and then like cumulatively um, coming through the pandemic, thinking about survival, thinking about resistance, you know, this time of rising fascism, all of those Mm -hmm. things. I think all of those questions have just come to the forefront so dramatically. And Star Wars has been a really potent way to find solace and find a language of resistance you know whether that be in the actual resistance within the universe or, or what it looks like when you know you're in a position of power um but the world seems like it's caving in uh, all those different levels i think are there and so it's been about grappling with them and trying to grow from them you know finding hope obviously like in dark times like mm-hmm. those are all such star wars things and i think going into it like it's all very theoretical but then when you're in there on the page, like engaging with it in real terms, um, you know, going into battle with your characters, like dealing with inner demons with your characters, like that's mm. transformative. Um, right. Hopefully for the reader, but certainly for the writer, because you have to get there. Like you you have to get to the place where you've uh, figured it out to some extent. So your characters can too. And often it's them getting you there. They'll teach you, you know, like Cantem taught me so much about life. I didn't know what it meant to go on that journey except in my own life when I've gone on my own journeys, right? But I didn't know where Canton's story was going to go when I started writing it, and, and they showed me. And so for me, it was like I had to listen. I had to be honest about where that story was going to go, and I also had to put it in the service of the, the bigger story I was telling because it couldn't just run off the rails, right? I was, it was still a part of Midnight Horizon. So the responsibility was for me to listen to honor that story or wherever that was going to take us and also, like, crafted in a way that would be in conversation with the larger book. And that made me uh, just a a better human being. That's beautifully said. And and just on the note of Cantum, while we're talking about them, their their flashbacks in Midnight Horizon, I read the book and I recommended it to a few friends. And Mm -hmm. I can tell you at least three people, two of them that have podcasts, Jerry from Bombadcast and, and Nikki from ISP and my, one of my partners here, both of them mm-hmm. have said, oh man, and then you get those flashbacks and I was so emotional. Like they have, all, everybody has responded to that background story mm-hmm. um, because I think that the the romance of it and the wanderlust and the yeah. the trust between Yoda and Cantum and mm-hmm. the way that Yoda knows they need to go their own way and that, that I mean, that's, that's real letting go is that... Right. That I believe that things will work out and when they do, and it's just so beautiful. And, I, and I, I've said on on Twitter before and in conversations with you how much I love that book and how that book is split into 
five parts and that that fifth part where you get the battle of coronet city is yeah. like my favorite star wars battle at this point like it's Thank you. so good um Thank you. now it, you know bringing it back into adventures before we get into the ending here mm-hmm. we talked about change and all these ideas and how you have to be a different writer every time which i think is such an interesting thing and how you will find the author that you need to be and mm-hmm. how you'll transform in, in these times and everything and again I, I joked earlier how your appearances here on the podcast you could track all this change and how much has happened and right. you know like your first two appearances you were not yet a father and then now you are and like this huge life change that's happened in terms of writing adventures again it's differences from volume one it's not teeing up a romance in the same way that volume one had it's not teeing up the the group is adults and one kid instead of many kids and a couple adults what kind of shifts did you need to make creatively to write volume two while also knowing there are probably kids at the comic book store that don't know that the volume's changing and just see adventures right. again and grab it and maybe like, what yeah they're like this is not lula and zine like they, right. you know, that, that aren't on the internet you know they, they right. don't know what's going on right to that point uh this is a little separate but you know volume one ends with them just happily heading to starlight like that's the last we saw if you're just reading the comics, mm-hmm. all you know is that Lula and Z, Lula. Oh, if you're just reading the comics, it's great. It's 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 so it's happy. Great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, like people were like, oh, but also like there's little kids, you know. Like I mm-hmm. I didn't want to end the comic with this like horrific thing happening. Um, because... Which I think was like so classy. Not to cut you off, but like I just you know we talked about the manga too. Like seeing Ooh. the manga gives us another look at the Rumble race and things like that. Like. <laughs> We, yeah, we yeah. are, it, which was so funny. When I read the manga, I was like, he got the rumble race in again. But the, the uh, freeway crossover. It's like the most ambitious, like, what, <laughs> what's your favorite Star Wars crossover? I like all the rumble race <laughs> points of view at like that movie Vantage Point. Um, but yeah, like the, the whole idea that you're right, like we know tragedy is coming and that's fun for adults that are buying everything. Yeah. But it still needs to be like, isolated like a young kid could read that and then you know in a couple of years they could find out what happened to starlight right. well actually the fcbd issue uh will be somewhat revealing in that regard um mm. the cover was revealed with lula on it right that is lula on starlight and uh it, that was kind of an opportunity that i wanted to tell that story to show a little more of that story because we get these bits and pieces of it right like we we get it from the crew on corellia's point of view which they're not there we see this brief second of it, you know, in Trail of Shadows. We know that, like, Port survives and Buckets runs off naked. And that's kind of all we know. Shirtless Buckets so, sh- shook the internet. I was right. I was dying to tell more of that story. Um, there will still be a lot of questions that there should be. Uh, but I, I did want to take the opportunity. Once I found out there was going to be a free comic book day issue, I was like, oh, we need, to, we need to know a little more. And now it's not like dropping that on them. And then it's just like, see you later. You know, like this. Yeah. A little more movement so all that stuff was in my head but um no uh phase two is a fresh start and you can pick it up and have no idea what happened in phase one and just be totally fine and that was kind of the idea behind it including like like i said having sav be the polar opposite of Lula, like having exactly what you said like having a crew around her that's not only not jedi but not kids <laughs> like all these weird grown gruff adults like mm-hmm. living a life of crime um and, and exploring that so that's fun although there's a teenager. Um, Quiet Sean is a teenager, and one of the dead racks is, is young. She's around the size age. Nice. So there's like there's that mix, which is really what I was looking for. You know? 
Like I wanted that young feeling and I also wanted the older feeling and all the things in between. Nice. And now question here that you'll have to dance around and then we'll do the questionnaire. But I feel like I have to ask it because I think it's so fascinating. Because of the lead time on these things, it's like Mm -hmm. you are, especially in comics, Mm -hmm. you know, you're a comic book writer and you're a novelist and you've done, you know, these are very different things. And we've talked about some of the differences and a lot of that is the lead time. So you're turning in these scripts on this with one part of your brain, but then the other part of your brain is working on books. You can't talk about star Wars and not star Wars um, is, you know, following up ballad and dagger is doing different things, different projects. Obviously you have your real life. And the part of the, that other part of the future is phase three and, you know, way, way too early to talk about it in depth. So no one get too excited, but I'm just curious specifically about the brain shifts when you're turning in phase two scripts to Tony and you're getting this art back, but then let's say you have to answer an email about phase three or something. What is it like to do business about an ending that maybe isn't solidified yet, you know, for adventures? (laughs) What is it like? Uh, What is it like to see the eight issues in your mind and say, I think I can confidently answer a question about the future. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly like writing in Star Wars and writing in another world gives you the practice you need to sort of do anything. You have to be able to multitask. You have to be able to, to put things down and pick things up. And that's the game. Like it's challenging. You have to figure out strategies for how to do that. But ever since Last Shot, I was writing Last Shot when I was in the middle of the Dactyl Hill series. So I was going back and between the Civil War with dinosaurs and Galaxy Far, Far Away. And within Last Shot, there's like five mm-hmm. different time periods, right? Like mm-hmm. It's like young Han, young Lando, young um, Fison Gore. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then like post-ROTJ. It's a lot. So um, I just feel like I've been practicing all this time to do with exactly whatever higher public situation they are at. Yeah, it's something that is just so fascinating to see, especially like as you play with long-lived characters, as you play with, you know, jumping back and forth, because phase one ends on the... I remember telling a couple of of people that I mentioned, like, they're like, oh, should I read this one? Is it it, because I didn't read the other YAs? I'm like, no, you have... Mm -hmm. If there's one that I was like waving the flag of, you must read, it was Midnight Horizon, because the ending is so (laughs) hardcore and so (laughs) like, F, yeah. Like, it's tragic. And it's sad, but mm. Midnight Horizon ending with like, we need everyone back home now. Like there, that was the first time the whole phase builds to Yoda being like, we're doing a full recall. Like right. everyone come home. And we know from the prequels, that's not a thing really. Like the prequels, that that recall is almost used against the Jedi. Right. And right. the ability to do that. And it's, you know, Obi-Wan famously tells everybody, don't come back. We lost all that stuff. So to get a recall in, in phase one, and then now we're waiting and we're not going to know for so long is, was so brilliant. It must have been such a, like a sick, villainous moment on your end. Like, and now I've got them. Now they're going to wait. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so good. So you've been on the show before, but since then, I started doing an ending questionnaire because it's always hard to end these things without just being like, and bye. Uh, So I lifted this questionnaire from inside the actor's studio and I modified it to be Star Wars related. And so some of the questions like James Lipton's, what turns you on? We will not be asking um, because this is a family show. Uh, Ending questionnaire number one. What is your favorite Star Wars word? Kirk. Love it. What is your least favorite Star Wars word? Okay. I don't think I have one. I like them all. So this is the question that I've now had to modify. What sort of ignites your spark in Star Wars? Mm. Turns you on about Star Wars? Um, Creatures and politics and faith. What turns you off in Star Wars? Uh, Or challenges you? Sure. Um, I'm 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 genuinely trying to answer this. I'm not trying to be political. No, no. It's totally cool. Uh, Take your time. 
the tones can lose you and it all varies and yeah that's a conversation we're having right now again with with andor and the bad batch but higher public is also going and then visions is coming like we're we're now in full buckle up tonal whiplash is going on and you have to get used to that but even as i say that like what i love about star wars is that it encompasses all those tones so like Mm -hmm. as much as i'll be like oh that's not for me but like I'm glad that it exists and I'm glad it's good work and it's great yeah. that the kids have it or whoever, not even kids, but people who really are into like extra goofy stuff. Like that's good. I don't dislike it. I just know like, you know, I have a particular goofy meter that I want to be like at a certain place and you know, that's it. Yeah. I mean, that's the eternal question of, of prequels and originals and what's, what is Star Wars comedy? Is there Star Wars comedy? So totally, it's a totally valid thing to explore. Um, what sound or noise do you love in Star Wars? Oh, blaster shots for sure. Lightsabers coming out. Uh, you know what? One always gets me that they've been using recently in shows is like the speeder sound because mm. I'm a I'm a ROTJ kid. So like whenever I hear that, I'm just like Endor, and it just brings me right back to that love. It's great. It's excellent. Is there is there a sound or noise that you don't like in Star Wars? <sighs> I mean, I never like to hear people chewing. Yeah, <laughs> mouth sounds. Like, I, doesn't cereal like eat cereal and like you could hear him chewing it? I feel like that's a perfect use of it because it's mm-hmm. he's horrendous and like that, you know, like he also does that slow slurp with his yeah, milk yeah, and yeah, everything. Like, so, like, it's bad, but it's supposed to be bad. Zoraida also said, like, her answer was any type of like glub or like goopy, like automatopoeia, like the organic, um, gross, like mouth things or like egg yeah. sacks breaking, right. things like that. Right. No, you, you know, to come back to your other question, you know what does take me out of the world sometimes is when it feels like there's too direct a, a cultural relay. Mm. Um, so, like, there'll just be moments where I'm like, oh, that feels like it was really supposed to be this culture. And, like, look, Star Wars is that. Like, that's not wrong. You know what I mean? But there, and, and it's a very delicate balance because we're all doing that. Like, I don't think it's possible to not draw on culture. We, we all do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a mistake to be like, no, I'm not drawing on any culture. That's not true. So it's like, so it's a very, very complex, like, language to be working in that's both visual, narrative, you know, audio, audio, there's so many layers to it. And so there are moments when I'm like, that feels like it was really just drawn, like, too directly from something, and it can just, like, snap me out of it. And to be totally honest, like, that's, or to be fair, I should say, like, that's a critique I've seen people say about my own work. And that's very valid. So like, you know, again, I don't think it's about the work being bad. I just think like different people have different understandings of culture, different mm-hmm. emotional and experiential connections to culture. Yeah. So like they'll read a line of, of dialogue in my work and it'll sound so it'll sound too modern to them. And they'll have that understanding of it as like, oh, that's really modern. So it pulls me out. And that's yeah. valid. You know, like that's not my relationship to those words but that's theirs and similarly i'll see something you know some image and i'll be like oh that feels really this and it'll pull me out you know so i don't again i don't think it's a right or wrong thing i think we all have to kind of manage that as creators and as participants in the world but it's complex yeah it's sort of your mileage may vary and you're right like we're, we're never going to not 
be doing it. I remember a while back having a conversation about just a really, really nerdy, in-depth, in-world conversation about Naboo and like the way that Naboo is a monarchy, but it's also a democracy with a constitution and how it's a blending of those two things and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it sounds so space fantasy in certain ways, but then you look at you look at her in Phantom Medicine. It's like that's geisha makeup like that even even the tiniest little illusions the tiniest something or the way that george has said and they use it in tales of the jedi like george has told dave filoni and dave filoni's told the story like well a jedi negotiates by taking the samurai sword and putting it on the table like even the word jedi so it's like they'll you'll never be free of it right and Um, that's what i'm saying like you can't be i don't think the goal should be like there is no connection to culture that's false it's almost like news news people being like oh i'm totally objective no you're not like and the ones that you trust are the ones that like i'm here's how i'm in conversation with my own objectivity here's how i'm struggling with like how much culture i'm bringing in you know because it's always this bad like you want it to feel uh grounded you want people to have a connection to the characters and there's always a cultural dynamic to that. You can't get away from that. So, you know, it's a question of how and where does that needle fall? And yeah. It's everybody. And you sometimes know. it sings like sometimes it's the mixture of both. Like there is no culture out there that I'm aware of that uses the ashes of their dead and makes bricks out of them and then builds the buildings right. of the town. Right. That's great. That's whole cloth. But right. that community right. is also super Latin, you know, and, right. and Cassian is you know, the Latino immigrant story in so yeah, many ways. Yeah. So great balance yeah. there. And, and everybody's balance will be different. You're right. Uh, okay. Last few here. What profession in Star Wars would you like to attempt? I think I would have fun being like a kind of a rogue smuggler type, uh, beast hunter type, you know, mm. like Ty York, maybe. Although I wouldn't want to like, I wouldn't want to kill the beast. I would just want to like hang out with them. So I might not be good at it. I don't a know. rogue I, zoologist. A like rogue he's, zoologist. He's not there to kill anything. Like he's that. just I'm he's just a scoundrel doing research. Yeah, exactly. He 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 broke into some place just to observe the creature. Like <laughs> just to hang out and love it. Give it a pet. Um, what star expression would you not like to do? You would either be afraid of it. You would suck at it. It would be gross. I think I would be a very good Jedi. Like, Sav gives me hope. Maybe <laughs> I can make it, but I think I would struggle um, for a number of reasons being a Jedi. As much as, like, it looks really cool, there's a couple aspects that I don't know. Might be too much of a romantic. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel you on that. I've always said, like, sometimes when you get especially during moments of anger or sadness, you're like, ooh, I would fall. I would fall. This would, That would not be good. I could not do it. Um, now, this last question, in the yeah. original questionnaire, the, the question is, if heaven exists, what do you think God would say when you get to the pearly gates? <laughs> Star Wars, very, very different on the subject of deities and stuff. So I've modified it to, if you could step into the Dagobah cave or the mirror <laughs> cave or Mortis oh, or any of those places, right? pick any of them. What do you think you'd see? Damn. That's deep, though. I don't. That's like a really deep question. <laughs> like I know it's supposed to be like shit. Because um, aren't they always like seeing themselves? Like their their darkest side is like them, and so you're like it's the like, dark side or, or the dark side. But that's the thing is that like one the thing I love about it and why I threw them all in there is because it's like yeah. Luke sees his worst potential, right? right. Ray sees the truth that she doesn't want to face. Right. Yoda fights Dark Yoda at the Wellspring of Life. Mortis right. shows Anakin the future. So it's sort of like, it's not one size fits all. And sure. and K- when Kanan talks to the Bendu, even though the Bendu is a person, not a place, yeah. the Bendu is sort of like, well, it's this, that, and the other thing, and I'm in the middle, and you figure it out. <laughs> 
I don't know. I, would, I might have to come back to you with that one. It's a really good. What are, what are people saying? Uh, we've had a couple people. Uh, so Zoraida said herself, I believe, and it was you know very much in like a Ray type way. There was definitely a big yeah. Ray connection there. Um, we've had a couple people uh, that have answered in ways that were more like uh, you know representative of of their stress. I think that <laughs> when we go to I, what did Ryan Ryan Johnson I think said that deadlines are like the budget sheet or something like something like professional uh, something she. I'll, 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 I'll do this. I'll say this. I'd like to think that when I die, uh, you know, I'll just end up surrounded and maybe brought to wherever that hereafter is by all the different characters that I've created. Mm. So, you know, I, I love the notion of just like, you know, that that really iconic picture of George surrounded by all mm-hmm. of the spaceships and creatures from had to be around the uh, Return of the Jedi era. And, uh, you know, I just I love it. And I love like. I'm just proud of all my kids, you know, like uh, of all different ages and species and, and different eras. And so, like, I do imagine like walking just into the light and being just kind of guided there by sap and, and, and dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. dinosaurs. Exactly. <laughs> dinosaurs. And, and weird gods from Caribbean islands and yeah. on and Lando. So not just the ones that ones I've written, not just the ones I've created, but um, you know, and and that's I think the appeal of, of a place like Takodana is that there are these crossroads, right? Where like mm-hmm. all these different characters just hang out, whether they're like weird priests and spiritual people, or gangsters or pirates or what have you, you know, politicians. Like I'm always attracted to the crossroads, and I think you know that's where that's what you'll see when you look at my heart, and that's what you find where you find me at the end of all. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, that, that's that's really good. I think at some point. I'll piece together everybody's answers and it'll be so interesting. I think Adam Christopher said like an hourglass or a clock or something like something about the pressure of time. It's a, it's a really interesting question, but that's how he, that's how he would end his on that show. I don't make everybody end heavy. I end with one that's guest specific that I think of right in the moment, right on the spot. Um, So we've talked about mentors a few times here. So the last question here, we've established that you are somewhat like Sav if you had to be like one of these kids, but that you also might not necessarily do so well as a Jedi. So if you were in the Star Wars galaxy, who would your mentor be, Jedi or otherwise? Oh, uh, hmm. Maz. Maz. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's exactly my type of folks. And so I, um, so I would be Sav. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's clearly purely autobiographical, even more so than I realized. <laughs> it's just me. Like, I'd just be like, Maz, like, I'm going to stick to you, whatever you need, you know, I'll bring to you. <laughs> just let me know. And let's do this. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, this has been so great. Uh, we'll have to do it again down the road this when we cool. have more to talk about. These are always so much oh, yeah. fun. For sure. Uh, the the sub-series of episodes, the the Daniel conversations. Uh, this <laughs> another awesome chapter. So why don't you let everybody know where they can find you, what's going Absolutely. on, what's happening not Star Wars related, what's going mm-hmm. on with you personally, things that you can share. Because mm-hmm. you're also things that are under-discussed on these podcasts. Obviously, we talked about Ballad and Dagger, Dactyl sure. Hill, like you've got your other stuff, but you're also, you do mentorship, you teach, you do all kinds of yeah, stuff in, in the world. Yeah. So the sequel to Ballad and Dagger comes out in the spring. It's a duology, so this completes the story. And it's just an epic story all together. And then this, it takes place, like, it starts literally seconds after book one ends. And it's really, there's a lot. I'm really excited about it. So that, yeah, that's coming up. That's coming out from uh, Rick Riordan Presents, uh, Disney Books. Bop, 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 bop. Um, we are in the adventures era, uh, which is really exciting. You can get them at comic shops everywhere. I'm on Twitter. If Twitter still exists when this podcast happens, uh, <laughs> at DJ Older. I'm also on Hive at DJ Older. 
Um, you can find me all over the internet. Um, the one I have to remember, two things. I'm on Substack now, which I'm really enjoying. Um, it's a great place to just kind of like dump eloquently my thoughts about writing and the world and Star Wars stuff. So find me there, my website, danielhoseholder.net. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, Like you said, Twitter, if it still exists, Daniel's one of my favorite Twitter follows because not just what he tweets, but what he retweets. He's a great curator of tweet, Um, (laughs) but also Hive. Hive, we've all made the transition to Hive, so you could find Daniel there as well, as well as me, that Alden Diaz, T-H-A-T-A-L-D-E-N-D-I-A-Z everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Hive. Then we'll see what happens uh, with some of those. But, you know, if Twitter crashes, trust me, I'm sure you'll notice uh, and that you'll, you'll be able to seek out all your friends. Octo Radio, Star Wars Podcast is everywhere you get your podcast. A-H-C-H-T-O Radio. Check that out. All those links will be in the description below. Anything else that I might be doing. Uh, and then, yeah, just keep up with everything. Leave stars, leave reviews, do all that good stuff. But for right now, for me, for Daniel, and for Sav, we will catch you next time. May the force be with you. Punch it, Chewie.